0: 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 to 15. I did say 1 to 10. I apologize. That was a mistake. If we can carry that over to 1 to 15, John Paul. The root and fruit of generosity. I want you to pay attention as we go through this text tonight. And how the Apostle Paul, how can I say it? So sensitively speaks on the subject of financial giving. I want you to listen to how he says it. Listen to the wording. Listen to how he always brings it back to God, to Christ, and what he's done for us. Uh, Listen closely as we speak on the root and fruit of generosity. I'll be taking some time just to spend a couple of lessons on this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that was given among the churches of Macedonia. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that you lo- that your love is also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and the desiring may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for everything you've given us, Father God. You've given us Christ. You've given us redemption. You've given us salvation. You've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've given us of your word. You've given us of your presence in our hearts 24-7. We eat and feast abundantly on your promises that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that we are more than conquerors, Father God, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Father God. And we ask you, God, to teach us the great grace of generosity, Father God. Teach us as Christians what giving means to you, God, not to us but what it means to you, God. And help us in this grace, Father God, to be abundant, to be rich in giving, to be over generous to your people, Father God, at all times and in all places and in all matters, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I felt the time to just spend a little time devoting on teaching on giving. I'll get back to marriage and other issues uh, probably in August. But I want to spend a little time on this, on this text. Namely, financial giving. Generous Christianity is a fruit of genuine Christian experience. We're going to see that in our text. I'm only going to go on probably about five verses of scripture. I'm not going to exhaust it all. But generous Christianity is a fruit of genuine Christian experience. And that's what Paul is getting to tonight. And at times it needs to be taught, it needs to be reminded. And expected. And that's what Paul's doing in our story tonight. Though often it is spontaneous, sometimes it's not. We need to be encouraged to give. I want to address some issues and concerns about financial support to the local church and other causes. Some of the concerns are how should we teach our people to give? How much should they give? How often should they give? Do we teach that believers have to give to their home church only? Or is it okay for our congregants to send money elsewhere and support other ministries? And what about tithing? Is that the minimum requirement? And if you're not sure what tithing is, it's 10% of our income. And what about tithing? Is that the minimum requirement for a Christian or is it the maximum requirement? Is it even relevant to a new covenant believer today? tithing i'll speak about these things in many ways the bible remains frustratingly vague when it comes to our most pressing questions about stewardship financial stewardship and generosity it speaks on the issue but not as clear as we want because the new testament gives no law on it so that's important for us to know the old testament had plenty of laws but not the new testament this may explain why so much of our preaching, in, especially in America today, about finances remains frustrating, it remains vague, or at worst, it becomes demanding. Very bad. Demanding, very bad. I want to give a quote from a man named C.S. Lewis. Ungiven. Probably the best quote I've ever read, and I live on this. This is what C.S. Lewis says. I am afraid... The only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say, then they are too small. There ought to be things we want to do but cannot do because our given expenditures exclude them. I think that's a really good barometer to understand a given. There's no demand there. But put it this way, what C.S. Lewis is saying is that giving at times should hurt. It should. We should forfeit other things in life at times to give. And that's the point he's making here. This definition is as good as I've read, as I just said, and truly exemplifies a godly attitude concerning generosity. Sadly, what human nature is really after is this. You ready? I want everybody's attention because we start speaking on money people start going through pamphlets they start going through the texts you know like this doesn't people people leave and this is what happens i'm going to be you're going to get a real minister today okay i'm going to be real so just like a couple of weeks ago when i spoke on sex nobody slept through that sermon i could tell you that all right but why is it with money why is it with money people As Martin Luther said, the last thing sanctified in a Christian's life is the pocketbook. You can have everything, Lord, just don't ask me for the pocketbook. But sadly, what human nature is really after is this. What's the least I can give and still honor God? What's the least I can give and get away with it? A sad, I hope that nobody in this room identifies with what I just read. What human nature is really after is this what's the least we can give while still honoring the Lord with our finances? I believe our text tonight shows us the right way to approach financial support for the Christian ministry. And I say the right way because it's not an emotional appeal to give. I love that. I'll spend a little time on application with that. Nor is it a guilt trip for not giving. Paul never goes there. He never touches upon emotions. It's always theological. It's always what Christ has done for us. Nor is it some power trip for those who give above and beyond. Pastors have to be careful when people start waving big checks around. We've seen that before as a way of buying into something. Got to be careful of that. Or some false promise by giving, guess what? The kingdom of God is going to be thrown at you. Just give and you'll never lack anything. That's not true either. And we're going to see that none of that's in this text tonight. As a matter of fact, it's not in the New Testament. It's not even in the Old Testament. But Paul Paul teaches the natural outgrowth, the natural outgrowth of properly based faith in Christ. This whole text is not about giving. It's about what Christ gave to us and how we give from that. It's theological in its essence. It's tied into what God has done for us. What Christ has done for us, what he's doing for us, not what we can get out of God. If he only gave you, you'd never suffer. The things you can hear in Christian circles when it comes to giving is, is, is blasphemous. Because it goes against the cross and what Christ has already done. What Paul is reminding people is what Christ has done for you. Now others have a need. Guess what we do now? We meet the other's needs. That's what we do. Let me explain Paul is writing to a church called the Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians. It's around Athens today. And he's writing to them about what's going on in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is suffering. There's a famine going on. There's relief needed. Finances are given. They know nothing of the church there. They know nobody there. They couldn't be further away. The Jewish church and a Gentile church, totally, they didn't know each other at all. And Paul is encouraging to give as a third church did, the Macedonians. Paul is using an example of one church to another church. How to give to a third party. The Jerusalem church. They were in need. Let's go to our text. I'm only going to do five, five verses over here. And we'll go to 8. eight one. We got that up there? Okay. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God... That was given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul's approach to the question of giving starts with examples of others. That's a good place to start. There is nothing wrong with that. What I love about our text here, he doesn't call it giving, he doesn't call it tithing, he doesn't call it a love offering, he calls it the grace of God. Do you know when you give, it's God's grace? When we give, that's God's grace in action. Paul's approach to this question of giving starts with examples of others. Why? Because what we're going to see is the proper response to God's grace. Giving is a response to God's grace. And I really hope it challenges a lot of people. It's going to challenge the rich. It's going to challenge the poor. It's going to challenge challenge everyone in this room. I'm going to tell you that right now. You will be challenged on what it means to give. You will be challenged, and I hope you are. God is the foundation to all our understanding of how to give. Giving has to be drenched in God's grace. Paul does not call the Macedonian gift money. Never called it money. He called it God's grace. It's God's grace. When this church blesses people... It's God's grace. When me and Terry personally bless someone, it is not us. It is God's grace. It's always God's grace. It's God's. Has nothing to do with the church. Has nothing to do with us. It's God's church. It's God's grace. And and the backdrop to this gift is staggering. It's staggering what you're gonna hear over here in A two. Listen to the second verse. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance, that's the Macedonian church, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The churches in this part of the ancient world were persecuted brutally for their faith. Paul is talking about a church you'll find in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Go home and read 1st and 2nd Thessalonians tonight. That's the church he's referring to over here. And they were brutally persecuted for their faith. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, at the same time, they were desperately poor. He calls it extreme poverty. The word extreme means deep And it usually has to do with the roots of a tree, how deep it goes down. What Paul is saying here is that these people know nothing but poverty all their life. They've known nothing but hardship and poverty. But they have an abundance of joy for what Christ has done. You know how many Americans suffer with a poverty mentality? Now, I'm gonna speak about it a little bit, but it's brutal. And as pastors, it, it it's it's brutal. All they can see is the poverty. And of course it's real, but this church here, they were extreme poverty. They knew nothing but poverty all their life, and then they heard the good news and they got saved, and out of their poverty they became generous with what little they had made no difference. Because when Jesus is in the heart, there's no room for poverty. Mentality is Disney. We're in all these new believers. New in life was poverty. They were born in poverty. They were raised in poverty. They got saved in poverty. Paul wasn't telling them that they're going to prosper one day. He's not telling them any false hopes. But well, we got to keep them coming to church, so we got to lie to them. No, they were saved. You want someone to come back to church? If they're saved, they'll come back. And if they're not, they'll leave. And they'll go to another church that doesn't challenge them at all. But even in extreme poverty, and even in extreme persecution, it couldn't stop the great joy they had in Jesus. Couldn't stop it. They didn't say, well, you know, Paul, we're having a hard time. You know, Paul, we persecute us persecuted since day one. You know, Paul, we've been born in poverty. Paul, we don't have much. We barely make it in ourselves." No, no excuses, no nothing. We're in, Paul. Disney will do the best we can. Even though they had nothing, they found something to meet the needs of others. That's incredible. You know, we got such a bad mindset in America today that we do everything by mathematics. You know, it's the dollars, the $10, it's this. And, And you don't really know. It makes no difference what you don't have. It's why we give anything to God that's all that counts from a dollar it makes no difference we give out of our poverty it makes no difference God sees the giving and why we give even though they had nothing they found something to give and they gave it joyfully they gave it these Christians were not trying to figure out what is the least to give these Christians Enjoyed giving it all. Did you ever experience the joy of giving when you don't have much? I want to ask you that. I'm going to ask you now. Do you know the joy of giving when you don't have anything? That's what this church did. They had nothing, but they gave it all joyfully. They heard the need and they gave. You see why? Because abundant joy overcomes a poverty mindset. Abundant joy of what Christ has done. They were so concerned about their sins being forgiven that this other, these were lesser matters. They weren't, they weren't concerned about the day-to-day. Of course they were concerned. But when it came to generosity, even this poor, persecuted, embattled church was able to be abundantly generous because of the overflow and joy they had in Christ. They were fixated on Jesus. They didn't see what they didn't have. They were consumed with what they did have. They had God in their life now. Wealth of generosity, he calls it. And as I just said, there's something special when we give out a lack. There's a certain sweetness to it. God is watching and he understands when we're reaching and meeting the needs of other people, even when it's hurting ourselves. God sees that. Paul says over here, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Verse 3. We got that up there? Of their own accord. Let me tell you. Verse 3 qualifies the quantity. All he says is they gave abundantly, he didn't say how much they gave. But now we qualify it. Listen to what we qualify. According and beyond. They went the extra mile. This is a church that heard the need and they went the extra mile. As C.S. Lewis said, it somehow disrupt their life, even temporarily. Temporarily, it disrupted their life. When's the last time you gave and you gave up a cup of coffee? Let me put it this way. Speaking to somebody who's having a hard time giving, and we listened, but 10 years later, it was still going on, and they're saying, I, I need this. I said, I got the $6 Starbucks cup of coffee there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to them, and, and, and they're smoking cigarettes. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You're talking to a pastor here. You're crying about poverty. You got about $12 in your hands right there being wasted but you want God to meet all your needs and all this kind of stuff. So this is the kind of stuff we got to deal with. This church went the extra mile. We need to know how to be generous to God, to be generous to God's people, to be generous to the church, even at times, not in every time, but even at times when we have to deny our own personal luxuries. Only in America would a pastor have to say that. No Chinese pastor is explaining to the congregation how to give. Do you know why? They give. Nobody in the Sudan, no one in Africa, don't have to do it. It's Americans. We do a cost effective analysis. That's what we do. What's this going to cost me? And all of a sudden we get real fast with the math. You know, we want to get this, and we want to get this, and we want to get this, and we want to buy this, and we want to buy that, and we and we do all that, and then we go, Oh, what do I have for God? You know? Bad mindset. The first thing you gotta make up in your mind as Christians, I give to God no matter what. That's it. You give to God. And God will bless that. He goes on to say this. Not just the extra he goes, but they gave of their own accord. Pastors need to understand that text. Their own accord. Paul wasn't shaking them down. You know, like shaking them, trying to get all the nickels and dimes out of their pocket, you know. They heard the need, and they supplied the means. Simple as that. They heard the need, they supplied the means, because they heard from born-again ears. They weren't listening like they used to with the old ears. They're listening now with born-again ears. With a born-again mind and a born-again heart. He goes on to verse 4 saying this. Begging us. The word begging here is the same word we use, the New Testament, used for prayer. You ever pray? This is the same, this is the same word. They're pleading with Paul, let us be involved in giving. Paul could have said, but you don't got much. We don't care. We want to give. Begging us earnestly for the favor. Do you think that giving is a favor? The favor to be involved in the support of the local church. They're doing that of their own accord. There's no coercion going on. There's no strong arming going on. He's speaking to the soul that's been saved. And you know why he's doing that? That's all you need. Coercion is out manipulation is not there's no burden here, there's no pulling of the teeth there's no emotional manipulation going on this is a congregation where the gospel of grace went so deep into their hearts listen to me, this is a congregation where the gospel of grace went deep into their hearts where poverty could not touch it they were thinking more about being saved than they were thinking about being poor what a shame to American Christians. The, the, the Macedonian church of 2,000 years ago is standing up against an American church and saying, Look what you're not doing. 2,000 years later, their example is still challenging us today. We got our priorities wrong, I'm telling you now. Our priorities are wrong, and they got to get right. With finances, our motives have to get right. Our priorities have to get right. Listen to verse 5. And this, not as we expected... But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Let me explain something. This great display of generosity that we just read about from the most unexpected people. First of all, they're being persecuted, their life is on the line. That's what it means. They know nothing but poverty. These were the most unexpected people. Even Paul was surprised. Paul saying, like, you got to be kidding me. We passed the hat around. He's looking at the hat. He's like, you got to be kidding me. where did this money come from? We, 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 we didn't even expect this. This is beyond our wildest imaginations he's like I can't believe God's grace has gone so deep into their hearts that's why Paul calls it in verse 1 this grace of God that has been given Paul knew when he took a step back and said my goodness God must be doing some work in these people's hearts God must be doing some extraordinary work in their hearts. I can't believe this. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked the Apostle Paul is saying. It has to be God. Only a true evaluation of God's grace for someone can explain this kind of giving. These people have really thought about what Christ has done for them. They've really, really thought Hard and long about what the Son of God has done. Praise God. But then Paul qualifies this quickly also. This giving of this generous gift was precluded by the giving of themselves first to God. Don't miss that. And this, he says, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. They were slaves of God now. First and foremost, first to God. Their whole heart was in it. Can we put a First Thessalonians? Listen to this church how to respond to when God first, when Paul first preached there. We got verse 4 up there, too. Actually, I think that's Ephesians. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, no, that's cha- chapter 4. Chapter 1, John Paul, my fault. <coughs> I want you to read this. Yeah, here we go. Four and five. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. That's why Paul understands. Paul knows somehow what's going on in their hearts because they've been chosen by God. They've received the word of God. They have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're in 100%. They have full conviction that Jesus Christ is their Savior, that this is the kingdom of God. They're totally consumed with Christ. They've given themselves to God. And as Paul can say after that, then they gave themselves to the Apostle Paul. When Paul says that, what he's saying is this they had their priorities right. They gave themselves first to God, then to God's minister. No suspicion here. They recognized the legitimacy of Paul's ministry, they recognized the legitimacy of his call and his right to encourage giving. They gave themselves first to God, then to the servant, then to the servant's call to give. I get overwhelmed when I think about these Macedonians and how they gave. This is the kind of stuff that's encouraged me and my wife to give the way we give. Wouldn't think twice about it. We give and we give and we give like many people in the church. We give us. We don't ask. We, don't, we give. If God says something, that's the last word. It's over. Don't even think twice about it. Don't even care how much it costs. God needs something. We're in. We want to be the type of Christian that God can bring a need to of. And we're in. And we're in. That's it. No questions asked. We're in. This is the grace of God in action. It's the grace of God in action. Let me go into some application. first thing that strikes me in our text, and it is the whole New Testament, is the absence of manipulating rhetoric. It's some kind of you know, strong arming and, and, and twisting of the arm and trying to get someone to make them feel guilty about giving and so on and so forth. I see it all the time. I sat under it. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's miserable. It's, it's, it's not the gospel. It's, it's, it's just plain wrong. It's plain wrong. It is so wrong. If anybody had the right to say you must give, it was Paul. And he chose not to. Instead, he pointed them to the need. And what Christ has done for them, Holy Spirit took care of the rest. So much so that Paul had to say, Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. So, in the application part, we look and, oh, you know, Brian, you know, what, the hell, what does that mean for me? This is the 21st century. I'm hungry. It's five after five. And, you know, they move on. You know. Let me explain something about Scripture and the American mindset. People came through that door today, see if it fits you. And they want the word that's going to fix their life. They want the word that's going to fix the problem of the day. They want to hear something that applies to them personally, to whatever you're going through today. Totally wrong. Matter of fact, it's juvenile, it's elementary. Very bad. As you should walk into church every Sunday saying, What's God going to tell me today? Because God's going to tell you things you need, but you don't know you need it. And when we hang around just wanting to hear what we want to hear, and if the sermon fits me, if the sermon doesn't fit me, what we do, you know, it's a low view of God's revelation. The word of God is God's revelation. Every verse of scripture is in there because God wants us to know it. Every verse, we take every verse of the Bible serious. Not one verse is elevated above another verse. Every verse is there because God says, "You need this to live on this earth and honor me." Every story, every parable, every psalm, every proverb is God's gift to us. We don't pick and choose. We don't cherry pick. No manipulating whatsoever. He just speaks to the born again conscience. He instructs God's people in giving, that's all. And if we give examples of giving, that's fine. This is still the example today. Lesson two. What's on display here is not so much the Macedonian faith and obedience, it is, but rather God's grace in action. The fruit of Jesus dying for them. They take it serious that he who is rich, you know what that means? He who was God became poor, became a man, and suffered unto death. So, we who are really poor because we're dead in sin might become rich with eternal life if that doesn't get you to be a giver nothing ever will nothing nothing else is needed this church knew it This is proper motivation, understanding what Christ has done, not a law that I have to give. Number three, Americans fascination with a poverty mentality. Here we go. What's a poverty mentality? It's hard in America to see so much excess, so much wealth, so much luxury, and not be part of it can be very, very painful. And it can get greed in the heart. It can make us do things we don't want to do, say things we don't want to say, desire things we should not desire. Because we're always behind the eight ball. The Macedonians were beyond poor. That's all they knew was poverty. But when Jesus came into their life, you couldn't find a poverty mentality anywhere in the church. Anywhere. And a poverty mentality is this. Unless I have, I cannot possibly be happy consumed as Americans we got to be extremely careful of the mentality of having less than others got to be very careful this attitude of mine overcomes the joy of the heart the Macedonians had it right Yeah, they were poor and they were getting beat up and persecuted to the point of dying but they didn't lose the joy I'll ask you this Everybody in this room, how easily is the joy of the Lord stolen out of your heart? How easily? When something goes wrong, how easily is the joy of the Lord stolen out of our hearts? God and Christianity becomes what God can do for me in respect to the American dream. Talking to a friend of mine, he moved out to Colorado some years ago, believer. He was going to a believing church out there, and he started coming back with teachings like, God wants us all rich, and you can see his eyes will lit up. I was like, wow. I said, come back in a year and tell me that. Because you're not going to be rich. And you're not going to be so happy. You got it. How can we witness the people if we're poor? That's what he told me. I said, the pastor said that? He goes, yeah. I said, you think he's right? He goes, he is right. How am I going to witness somebody when I got no money? See, that's the American dream seeping in to what you think God should do. I said, tell them they can be forgiven of their sins. And they can have eternal life. And that's a good place to start, wouldn't you say? But you got to butter it up. you gotta, you got you to make the pot sweet, you know? Come to church because you can get rich. People fall for this. So I got a phone call from a guy yesterday down in Florida. He's going to one of these churches. He goes, what do you think about this prayer, Brian? I was like... <laughs> but I'm still trying to wrestle with his soul because he's not saved yet but he's hearing these kind of things and they tickle his fancy because he's an entrepreneur he likes to make money he's got plenty of it and you would think by this time he would not even think about it He, he heard something from a pulpit that made him sound like he can get rich God is not about the American dream God is here look at me, everyone to trample all over your dreams. Those dreams choke the life of God right out of us. And you can be happy every day if Jesus Christ is God in your life. Don't allow lack to steal the joy of the Lord. Don't allow the fear tomorrow to steal the joy of the Lord. Don't allow what others have to steal the joy of the Lord. Don't have what you had at one time but you don't have today to steal the joy of the Lord. Don't let anything steal the joy of the Lord. And you know what can steal the joy of the Lord? Success can steal the joy of the Lord. The Apostle Paul talks about that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, Many people have shipwrecked their faith in the pursuit of money. He's talking about believers. For the pursuit of money is the root of all sorts of evils. So the love of money is all sorts of evils. The truth is you can be happy with a dollar in your pocket or a hundred in your pocket. You can be happy with nothing in your pocket and say with a thousand in your pocket. The joy of the Lord is where it's at. And the ability to stand with that great proverb, Father, just give me my need. Don't give me too much that I'd forget about you. Don't give me too little that I would steal and blast me your name. Just give me my portion for today. That's all. That's it. But in experience, I've seen that this mindset is in those who have what other people have. Let me try to get this out. We have to keep our eyes totally fixed on Christ. Not what we think the culture said, well, we should be in a better place. Or I should be there or I was there, but now I'm here. You see, when Jesus comes into your life, he steps all over your dreams, he steps all over past experiences, he goes, it's a brand new life now, you're a new creation, I'm doing a brand new thing, I'm putting a brand new value system into your life, you're not even going to know the upside to the downside anymore, I'm reversing everything. Let me tell you something I've seen in the genuine poor believer. They're often the most generous people in the church. Most generous. In proportion with their income. You know how sweet that is to God? I'm not finished with this text. I'll deal with it again. I'll deal with the other verses probably next week. But here's the point. The sermon is not about giving, so to speak. The sermon is why we give. So my question as a pastor is this. If I'm not a real giver then why aren't I giving? Where's the joy of the Lord in my heart? Where's the joy of God? What's happened? What came and stole this? What's, what is this, this preoccupation with other things? And I understand, God knows there are genuine times where there's need. And I've told people in the past that we give. I said, listen, don't worry. You, you Don't give a nickel. God knows you're not doing well. There comes a time to give. And there comes a time when you just can't do it. That's okay. But we're talking about when it becomes a game and that God cannot ever, ever step on our toes and say he wants us to be more generous. Please, as a pastor, I want you to know the sweet bliss of what the Apostle Paul calls here the grace of giving. To really know that. And to be a people, if God says give, you just give. More is going to be said about this. That was enough for today. Father, thank you that we are a church that gives, Father God. Thank you for the joy of giving, Father God. Thank you for what it means to be able to be a giver with our time, with our energy with our finances, with our very self, with our homes, Father God, with our families, and just everything, Father God. Help us as a church to live up to the standard that we've seen out of the Macedonian church 2,000 years ago. Though they were brutally persecuted and extremely poor, they still gave out of the abundance of joy in their heart. So much so that your apostle, at this point that's seen everything, was astounded when he saw this grace in action. Father God, bless Sonship Ministries, not with giving, but with the joy of generosity, with an overflowing heart, because your people at Sonship Ministries knows the deep joy of the Lord, that their sins are forgiven, that their names are written in the land's book of life, and that there'll never be in need for anything, for the righteous never beg for bread. In Jesus' name.